You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. The $10 million Bigfoot bounty is over. This show has spoilers. This show has the S word. This show has the most astonishing pun I've ever managed on Monster Talk. We've got DNA. We've got NDAs. We've got A and Ds. Join us as we talk with Dr. Todd Disotel and Natalia Reagan about their experiences as scientists in episode 84, New MT on the Bounty. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. I'm your host, Blake Smith, and today, Dr. Karen Stolzlow and I will revisit the scientists who joined us back in episode 76, just before the premiere of the Spike TV TV show, The $10 Million Bigfoot Bounty. Dr. Todd Desotel was our very first guest on this show and is one of the best-known scientists looking at Bigfoot evidence today. He's an expert primatologist and DNA researcher who teaches at NYU. Natalia Reagan is an anthropologist and comedian as well as a science promoter. Together they joined Dean Cain, who's perhaps most famous for his portrayal of Superman on the TV show Lois and Clark, as judges of the contestants seeking Bigfoot on the show. We'll reveal the outcome of the show in this interview, so if you want to watch the eight episodes first, they're all available on Spike TV's website, and a link to that is in our show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk. We want to welcome back Todd Disotel and Natalia Reagan who recently did the $10 million Bigfoot Bounty television show. So the show's over, and we would like to talk about how they felt about the outcome. So welcome back to Monster Talk. I, I think the number one question I expect our listeners are wondering is, do you think the science messages that you talked about trying to communicate were successfully able to survive the editing process? 
to a degree, not as much as obviously we would have liked. Um, you know, for every minute of science that actually made it on the air, you know, we filmed, you know, minutes to hours worth. And in the final edit, a lot of it was sort of dramatically reduced. So I was a little disappointed with that. But I do think we did get some of our main points across pretty well. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a fight between science and spectacle when you have any sort of reality television show. And for as much science as we filmed, there were hours, countless hours of, of um, whether it was real or um, generated drama between contestants that, of course, the American public uh, feasts upon. And so as much as we wanted more science uh, to get out there, I think they did the best they could with what they could do. And that's why we produced the web series called Talking Shit with Dr. Todd and Natalia hoping to kind of get out the core messages we wanted to get out on the show, not knowing, it was kind of a preemptive uh, attempt to get the science out there without knowing how much would make the show Spinal Cut. That's a very fitting name. We'll link to that in the show notes. Did the producers ever say to you at some point, less science guys and more drama? Not to us, because I couldn't do less science. I was Mm -hmm. doing DNA analyses and Natalia was out in the field with them trying to make sure that they followed sort of the proper protocol. So there was really no way to sort of step that down. Mm -hmm. Where it came out was at the end of every episode in the so-called elimination round, where um, (laughs) they would bring up each team, they would say something for a minute, and Natalia or I and sometimes Dean would just sort of summarily dismiss them or say good work and that's where I think a lot of the people who criticize the show seem to think that that's all we did when in reality we did a lot more as much as you dealt with poop it seems like every round was an elimination round what (laughs) (laughs) that's a nice one Blake (laughs) you know what I had not thought of that exact uh, wow, thanks. Now, <laughs> going into my future Great minds. <laughs> I've never donned them. We, we had every other word <laughs> and joke for it, but I never, uh-huh. never made the connection to it was, elimination. It was a real shit show. But yeah. He um, uh, needed Blake there, I think, as a consultant. Yeah, exactly. Consultant. It was great because uh, they wanted to include as some humor in, in the elimination round. And so, you know, Todd and I would do our best to come up with any sort of jokes we would see with um, the samples that came in. And, and, and the thing is, because it's such a, the elimination round, it ends up being edited down to seven minutes or so. That night, usually we shot for maybe nine hours and each team would bring in wow. between five to six, sometimes even more samples. So we literally sat down and, and talked to them about every sample, went down and actually gave them notes and critique their elimination in, in great depth and detail. And at a certain point, you can only say so much about, you know, the poop that they brought it's in. bear shit. Exactly. <laughs> and it's hard to really give them qualitative notes on their bear shit. You know, they can only show so much. So we try to, you know, put in as much information as we could, uh, with each sample and hopefully include a little bit of humor, although they really went for the the, the serious, dramatic, dun-dun-dun side of the elimination. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what came across. But I, I can't believe that nine hours down to seven minutes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the elimination is exactly that, but it's it's not that long. But, yeah, yeah. we would we would freeze our keister Many off. nights <laughs> we were out there till past three in the morning. 
We had to wait for dark, and it would go till three in the morning. Every time the camera stopped rolling, you know, the three of us would just huddle around that fire pit because we it was just ball numbing cold. At least for <laughs> Dean and I, I don't know what Natalia felt. My ovaries just shaking in their uh, their shells. That, that that's that's a great lead into this question that I have. Um, did Dean Kane? <laughs> did he seem unusually weak or ill? During the evening shoots? There was one or two where he had some significant uh, allergies. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd have to do a couple retakes between sneezes. That, that actually, that makes perfect sense for me because what I had heard was that his one real weakness is cryptid night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's been waiting to use that smaller, one. Smaller, smaller part. Nice. Another question that is on the the tip of everyone's tongue uh, is about Justin. The big one, though. Did you lose track of the big one? Yeah. I never found the big one. Do you have any sort of samples from this specimen? Hair, blood, flesh, bones. Has it been analyzed yet? Yeah. And? Feral human, where is the most common result? So, feral human. Yeah. Uh, you can't tell if a human's feral from their DNA. Justin says he sent out a sample and it came back as feral human. There's no such thing as feral human. Feral is just a behavior. So if Justin killed a feral human, he actually killed a human and he's committed murder. When Todd called him out on that, that was my favorite moment in the series, I think. Did he kill any more feral humans yes. during filming? <laughs> Justin, um, he, he, he talks a big talk now, doesn't he? But I certainly oh, yeah. don't believe the thing he says. So, so a point I wanted to raise is, unfortunately, having, you know, been head, thrust headlong into this and occasionally seeing the blog posts and Facebook posts and other things, is a lot of people complained that it was a rigged show, mm. you know, that the, the network had picked a priori who was going to win and who to keep and all of that stuff, but that's one thing, and I've posted and written about this, that is absolutely not true. Going back to the Paola scandals and some of the early uh, televised game, game shows, shows where mm-hmm. there were controversies, a whole series of laws have been passed on this because this was technically classified as a game show because you had contestants competing for prizes and they have to be fair we would have walked away from it i mean why would we put our reputations on line if it was gamed so to speak yeah, we actually had a man that was in charge of all the compliance rules. We actually had to, you know, sit down and had a meeting at the very, very, very first day of shooting. Everybody had to sit down and talk about this is a this is a game. There are rules. You must comply with these rules. And um, we took that very seriously. And I know that Todd and I, every time we had an elimination, there was a, a, a sit down uh, meeting between he and I, and then of course Dean <coughs> discussing. And um, and we sometimes we didn't agree, and we had to really kind of have a little fisticuffs. Yeah, it, it was a lot like. <laughs> Rating, you know, as a professor, I have to rank the students in my class, and oftentimes you have utterly objective uh, criteria—the actual score they had on a, a test. But if you're in a seminar, sometimes it gets a little more subjective, where you have to say, "Well, these guys uh, spoke up." 
more and better and more logically and stuff. So, but it, I mean, it really was to me like being a teacher, you know, being a professor and, and grading them. And when you grade, somebody's at the bottom end of the curve. Yeah. I mean, and things like looking at their field work, whether they work together well as a team. Um, my big idea that I pushed was their ability to amend any sort of theories that they had as they gain more information. If somebody was, you know, d- digging in their heels on a theory that wasn't holding any weight and they weren't giving us any good evidence, it, it made it easier for us to let them go. But when we, you know, one of the the wonderful things for me as somebody who studies field primatology is to hear them start talking like scientists, talking about their hypotheses, mm-hmm. people that I never thought would ever say or utter those words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think David, was it David Lauer? It was like yeah. our hypothesis. And, and he was great. <laughs> yeah. They really were coming up with uh, changing their ideas and, and, and trying new things. And for science is about innovation. It's about um, trying new things and, and if it doesn't work try something new Tor- towards the end of the show I think the H word was used as much as the S word <laughs> so tying into the concept of, uh, of grading was there any cheating going on did you see anybody trying to plant evidence and pass it off as real or anybody acting a little uh, uh, dodgy I don't want to sound like Bill Clinton but define cheating <laughs> you know, if, if you're ahead of another team and you stomp out the footprints or use your paddle and erase the footprints you take a sample there's a, a bunch of fur on the ground you take a sample of it and then you start spitting on it you know so that it becomes contaminated uh is that cheating or uh are you playing to win playing to win you know so Mm -hmm. and we saw that on camera i mean i didn't see that out in the field because i actually um did not go out in the field during their hunts with them. Natalia went out at the beginning of the hunts and sometimes at the ends. But, um, you know, we couldn't track all the teams all simultaneously. Even though they're out there alone, there was a cameraman and a sound man (laughs) just a few feet away from each team. They generally played nice when I was with them, and I I would go out with them. um, uh, Actually, it was usually for the initial test round, and I would just kind of ask them about their uh, strategies. and, And they all played kind of nice while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they knew that they would get my scorn and wrath if they didn't. But I, I do know um, seeing additional footage from the cameramen that was with that were with them for all those hours out in the field that they did, you know, try to play to win. And, yeah. and that sometimes that means playing a little dirty. And Natalia and I, you know, after they came back from the hunt, while the DNA analyses were being carried out, I would basically start them. But I had a technician with me throughout the whole trip. Actually, I had several technicians. And so while things were incubating or things taking a little bit of time or some of the easier steps, we, Natalia and I, would be in the cabin or out at a picnic table with all of the evidence that they brought in, plus footage and all the pictures that Yes. They took. So we spent hours a day going, you know, basically from, you know, mid-morning until nine at night. We were going through the evidence, you know, almost a whole day long. And they would pull up, well, here's the cameraman for this team. Here's, you know. So I would look at this tooth and say, well, this looks like it's from a deer and they were swearing oh no it's from this and then the cameraman recorded them taking a deer jaw and breaking it to pull a tooth out (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Busted. So, yeah. Gotcha. Again, is that cheating or playing to win? Um, yeah. I mean, that's. I'm sure that's expected in any kind of game show, even if it's just trying to psych out your opponents. But they mm-hmm. could physically try to do stuff as well to reduce the evidence out there for other people or to make theirs look better, whatever. Yeah. And, and we did, I mean, it was, it was kind of nice. It was, we really were kind of building our, our cases uh, for them and our questions. And we, you know, we came up with usually a series of you know, eight questions per team, if not more, um, trying to get to the bottom of why they brought in these samples. What about them made them think it was, was Bigfoot. We gauged their, answers and that helped us decide whether or not they were going to stay or go they had to you know defend themselves just like you would defend a dissertation (laughs) i I was basically working with uh 18 people who probably wouldn't be grad students under my uh supervision (laughs) maybe michael merchant Mm -hmm. (laughs) but speaking of evidence was there any solution to that bigfoot that was caught on the FLIR camera that uh, the two didn't go chasing after? One early in the season, they didn't follow up on it, and nothing was seen there. Later in the season, they claim they had, you know, the best best footage since Patterson-Gimlin, and mm-hmm. it was another team's cameraman or sound man. And we know that. Probably taking a leak. Probably, you know, know, taking a dump (laughs) a a few feet behind the rest of the team. That's why it was an individual. Uh, But the early one, I don't think we have a clue as to what it was. But it was also just fuzzier than, well, it was typical. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to have scale when it's night vision, too, if there's not something. Yeah, and flare, I mean, it's it's cool, but you're never going to get decent, positive ID off of uh, flare at night, unless it's a camera trap and they're, like, three feet away from it. (laughs) Right. It looks good on TV, though. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Very dramatic. I actually learned a lot on this series myself, and in fact, our our use of environmental DNA, the stuff from insects and other stuff, I had never done before in my own research, and we've now incorporated that into our research. In fact, we're taking it even further and submitting several grants um, using even more sophisticated technologies, next generation sequencing technologies, and so on to do all sorts of neat stuff with environmental DNA, to actually scan the environment for all of the organisms that are out there. I probably would have eventually come around to that in my research, but this show really prompted me to really think about it more. And in talking in my lab meetings, we are like, hey, we could do this in this different context. I actually learned and gained something from the show. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah, I learned a great deal because I'm a field primatologist, so most of my time has been spent in the field. And so I I got to get a lot of hands-on lab experience. And then also, I mean, the environmental DNA is something that I work in conservation, and that could be extremely effective in an area where it's hard to find a specific individual, uh, group of individuals. Um, And and you can do kind of an ecological survey without ever having to see them if you're using mosquitoes or any sort of inviting insects. Um, And it was great, honestly, as somebody who would go out and watch 
the teams. I, I love watching Dave and Dan go out and use themselves as bait while catching leeches. That to me was <laughs> amazing uh, tenacity. <laughs> and we we got horse DNA out of one of the leeches that latched, latched on. on to David. They <laughs> snapped it off before it drew blood on him. And when we tested that sample, clearly a horse had walked through that swamp not too long before and had a leech bite it and fall off and it went after uh something equally big yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry dave (laughs) i wonder if they're going to be listening into this Uh, i hope so hello (laughs) so do you have any idea what the sounds were that uh got one of the cast members to say that's a bigfoot call right there sound like a loon well, hey, you t- don't talk about them that way. They're nice people. Yeah, well, I, I, I was going to say that. So it's there's a double meaning there. It, yeah. it could be a loon or a yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you also have to remember. I mean, one of the one of the banes of all these guys looking for Bigfoot is hoaxing. So even if it wasn't another team member, we weren't in the middle of apps. Well, we were in the middle of absolutely nowhere, (laughs) but there were other people around. Yeah. And I know if I was a 17-year-old kid and I knew there was a film company filming a Bigfoot show in my region, I would be out there every night screwing around (laughs) with them. You hear that sound, and is it a natural animal? Is it a human doing it? If it's human, is it even the cast and the crew? I mean, they're human as well. Could a PA be out there screwing around? Screwing around? We, I don't know. So I think that was during the yeah, that was during the finale, and I know that Michael and Cat had. I think it was them who had done that, and they are those same people who heard. The sound. So the guy in front desk at this at this park knew that there are people there looking for Bigfoot. So who knows? Oh, having some fun with them. Exactly. Why not? <laughs> I was on TV. <laughs> yeah. Now hear me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys were talking about baiting Bigfoot a bit earlier, and one of the weirdest parts of the show for me was when one of the teams said that they were using chimp and human menstrual wafers to try and find Bigfoot. So what was that about? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I have no idea where that comes from. Is is all... uh, So here, I can use the H word and hypothesize. It's... It's at least folkloric that, for instance, bears are attracted to peanut butter and menstruating women. So don't go (laughs) camping with peanut butter sandwiches and a menstruating woman. And I can only hypothesize that that got transferred, if you will, to sort of the the Bigfoot world. Yeah, I, I... I don't know how to, it's not really a testable hypothesis, but it's just something. Maybe next time I see the guys, I'll, or talk to them, I'll ask them, where did you get that idea from? Well, it's funny because they they say that human men are are attracted to women. um, They can sense it, that they're ovulating, um, not menstruating. (laughs) Usually it's quite the opposite of that. (laughs) They send us blood and let us bleed for six days. (laughs) And then they'll let us come out and talk to them. And fraternize, um, but yeah, I, I guess there's that idea that that Bigfoot. I think at one yeah one point, the delightful Stacy Brown said he would tear down a female Sasquatch mm-hmm. if presented before him. Mm-hmm. So because Sasquatch is considered such a close um, relative to anatomically modern humans, I guess it would 
maybe be attracted to our own species and, and vice versa in the case of Stacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe that was, that, that's their thinking. But we can't say this bait doesn't work, period. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wasn't there another scene? How, how many more of these do you have? I have exactly. unlimited. <laughs> oh, they're on tap. There's different yeah. cycles in which these uh, these uh, bait periods work. So, wasn't there another scene where a couple of the guys were following the females because they thought at some point they're going to be on the rag? Yeah, yeah, they they were. Uh, my my favorite line was, "It's too bad they weren't ragging." Oh my gosh! You know, nothing but class with a capital K on this show, Quite a ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I think my mother just about died at that point. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't that's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur <laughs> injuries, paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, well so what did you guys actually like best about the experience? And, and what did you not like? What I mean, like, just pros mm -hmm. and cons? Well, just from the physical experience, I had never been in just such beautiful territory i mean to wake up in the morning and go running for a while with mount adams off your right shoulder mount hood off your left shoulder having elk and bobcat and coyotes bound across the dirt road in front of you while you're running hearing the stuff at night and smelling pine and the ganja um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it just just physically stunning, stunning environment. The crew were really great and hardworking. I mean, we worked hard. I mean, it was pretty darn grueling work on top of all of the other stuff, but uh, really bonded with a lot of people throughout it, even the people we were renting from, our cooks, 
wonderful cooks, all of that stuff. So that that was great. Todd Todd covered most of what I loved, but yeah, it was it was a gorgeous uh, region of the United States that I've never really spent any time in. Um, the Pacific Northwest. And so being able to, we both are runners. He runs, he wakes up earlier than I do. So he would run the early route. I'd run the later route. And there was an, a neighboring alpaca farm. I uh, spent a lot of time talking to these uh, indifferent alpacas that seemed to enjoy ignoring me rather than engaging in my conversation pretty much by myself. And just, yeah, getting to know so many people in a way, because you're working hard with them when you're, when stress levels are high on these shows, um, it's really nice to work with a team of people that, um, really know how to pull together and, and, and form this sort of camaraderie. Uh, I grew up in the film industry, so I've always appreciated film shoots. And it was, I never really been on uh, location for 30 days. I've, I've done location shoots, but never like that. So there, there comes a point where you feel like family and you leave and you, you, you miss them like you would miss family. You sometimes get annoyed like you would with family, but at the, moment, at the end of the day, it, it felt, I, I liken it to summer camp, <laughs> uh, but very hard mm. summer camp because we worked our, our keisters off, like, like Todd said. And, and, I, and this, for me, the science, uh, like I said, I wasn't a lab person. So for me to be able to be a part of something like that, I, I felt like I was learning so much, but also teaching contestants that may never take a class like this. So yeah, it was all around an, an exceptional experience. Some of the, the the drama and the fighting and bickering, it that got to me a bit. It's like, um, I don't have that really that much with like my graduate students, obviously. <laughs> they work together well, and they're not really directly competing with each other. But it was kind of like teaching a large class of pre-meds where they had to beat the other guy out because they were competing for real tangible stuff, not just an A or an A minus. They were competing for $10 million or $100,000. That's that's a real deal. And that can bring out a little bit of ugliness in people. And so that was tough. Yeah, there were was, was moments when the stress level got a little high. Sometimes, you know, I hated seeing them fight with one another. But I also, I really loved how they cooperated almost more than competed with one each other. I, I, I like pointing that out, that they really did cooperate uh, oftentimes uh, far more than they fought with one another. A really tough thing for me because they, they made me, if you watch the show, uh, folks at home, I, in the elimination round, I was the person that had to go to the cabin and call the teams back, which I hated. And the director used to you know, look at me and say, no more tears because <laughs> it really was tough because um, you, like I said, you grew to love these people like family, even though you might not agree. I mean, you know, I'm kind of the tree hugging hippie. I'm not a hunter, but I don't care. These people were in many ways wonderful. And, and it was very tough to send them the fire where I knew one of them, one of those teams is going home. So judging was, was very tough. And also judging DNA and, and making to- choices based on what the evidence they brought in, um, based on what was available to them was tough, was very hard. And, and Dr. Todd and I really had to kind of back, go back and forth and, and really make some tough decisions and, and sending people home, knowing that this was their dream was very difficult. Given that nobody brought the golden turd in, it was sort of uh, who did least poorly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, that sometimes, when not one team brings in real evidence of Bigfoot, how do you, f- judging what's the worst effort yeah. <laughs> is tough. <laughs> it's like there's no A's. It's like these are all D's and F's, which is the worst <laughs> F. Yeah, yeah. If you could have, what would you have changed if you guys had been the producers of the show? As somebody who studies primates, I would have loved to have gone to a primate center. 
um, because a lot of these contestants thought that Bigfoot was uh, indeed a descendant of ancestral primate. Um, most of them thought Gigantopithecus. And, but going to a primate center and allowing them to watch how uh, primates move, because they had all these theories about their locomotion, and to just show them how they move and, and how what they eat, and just kind of understand primates a little bit better. I thought that would have been such an awesome opportunity. And there is a the Oregon Primate Center. That would have been a great, I think, I, I think it also would have been a great opportunity for comedy. Monkeys do, monkeys and apes do funny things. And I would love to have heard their commentary, the contestants' commentary, as they watch them do those funny things. Yeah, especially when uh, monkeys and apes are throwing shit at them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um, and as long as you kept Justin away from them as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we kept I, Justin away from everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would have liked to be able to show them a little more detail of how the DNA analyses worked, how... We actually, obviously, I can't give them a lecture on the polymerase chain reaction or PCR, um, but I would have liked to try. And I, I mean, I did it to 10 to 16 year olds last week at the World Science Festival here in New York. Um, I think the American television public would be up to that. And then just show them here's actually what a DNA signature in this case looks like and here's the database we're comparing it to. I, I would have liked to show a little bit more of the sort of nitty gritty mm-hmm. of it just so that they again would better understand it because I did get a lot again on the interwebs and stuff like that I would get comments about well you said it was human DNA well what if uh, Bigfoot is a human. It's like, well, <laughs> if it's human, it's a human. <laughs> you know, and trying to explain that is, it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I would have liked to be able to delve a little bit more into the precise nature of the kind of analyses that my technicians and I carried out to even less doubt about the result and the arbitrariature and so on if we could have shown that level of depth and detail. I mean, again, this is for a large uh, lay public, so one has to do it properly. But uh, I think I have a lot of experience doing that. And I think, again, if I was producer or editor, I think I would have taken uh, a bigger shot at that. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have sat down with all the teams and had them each tell me exactly what their theory is going into it. Uh, mm-hmm. Where is Bigfoot? What does it look like? What is it? What is its locomotion? What is its diet? What is its reproductive strategy? And really kind of come up with a composite. And I think you even better have each team's uh, idea and uh, be drawn out in, in a picture. And so we could literally look at what each team's uh, idea of Bigfoot looks like, and then then we can talk about human variation. Just to get, and also to get a really good idea before we walk into this, you know, competition, what what they're thinking, um, mm-hmm. because we kind of came in it really cold, not knowing what each team thought. You know, little bits and pieces here and there. But being that we were the judges, we couldn't speak to them so much about what their theories were because we were that funny predicament of being judges and their contestants. And in the time that we weren't shooting the show, we weren't really allowed to talk about their ideas too much. It would have been really, I think, an awesome opportunity for us to hear what they think and and get an idea of what this individual uh, or this new species looks like and um, what their theories are. And I would have liked to then see, you know, again, the professor and me coming out, sort of an exit interview with each of them. You know, how did their views 
change if yeah. they changed at all. You know, from what they learned on the show, both either from Natalia or I or from the other contestants, do they now have a different vision, a different picture of Bigfoot after having gone through the show and been exposed to this stuff? So did they learn would, to me, have also been an interesting thing. It also would have been nice if there were no eliminations, honestly. Mm-hmm. It would have been really nice had there just been an expedition. Yeah. I think the elimination wasn't necessary. because I It's think reality TV for you. Yeah, it's, that's the formula. <laughs> Actually, it's changing. Yeah. yeah, eliminations are not working as well as they used to. And so that's why I think it would have been even better if, if they were only eliminated if need be. Because I, it took away from other drama that I think could have been more entertaining. Because <laughs> trust me, they, 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 could, they could definitely uh, create their own drama when given the opportunity. So, Todd, I, I think when we talked last time, you mentioned you had talked to Lloyds of London about the uh, the odds on this. Yeah. The, do you know what they actually gave? I mean, obviously they. Well, I don't. I don't think they ever put a. a you know, despite being British and loving to put odds on betting <laughs> boards, I don't think they ever uh, put a number. <laughs> On it, I, I like to say that it's not zero, but it's it's in the near vicinity of it, <laughs> um, adjacent to it, in the vicinity of it, but not zero. Obviously, they were pretty confident that they weren't going to have to lay out the ten million, and were thus willing to do it. This is you know, Rumsfeld unknown unknowns. <laughs> it's just too many unknown numbers to go into that particular equation. And uh, you guys were talking about the contestants changing over the course of the show. Were there any contestants who seemed to have their faith in Bigfoot shaken at any point? <sighs> no? No. <laughs> I, I am not. I don't, I don't think, I think so. I, I think the true believers coming in never changed. Mm-hmm. I think some of the... The bigger skeptics, the professional hunters and photographers, um, maybe one or two of those teams became more open to the idea, but I think some of the teams uh, never really bought into the story, you know, of the the hunters and photographers rather than the so-called squatchers. Yeah, I definitely think that maybe, you know, I know that uh, Shaney and Kirsten, came in as hunters and they actually uh, gravitated a lot towards, um, you know, Stacy and Dave and their theories um, and seemed to kind of pick up on that. I don't know if necessarily deep down they believe more or if they just, you know, for camera are going to believe more. Cause that's, I mean, I get that. That's what, that's what the show wants. And, and you know, it's what you have to sometimes give to, to get in the show. Um, but they, they did, you know, when they came to elimination rounds, they talked like they believed. In the beginning, they kind of didn't know, you know, Jack about about Bigfoot or Sasquatch theory. And, and, you know, by the time they left, which they stayed really late in the game, which I was, you know, super proud of them for doing, they, they stepped up their game quite a bit um, by by sticking with those boys and, um, you know, and really putting it out there. Um, and, and I guess being open to the idea. <laughs> they played the game well. <laughs> Did, did you guys track any of the – forgive me. I didn't even mean that one. Did you guys follow any of the stuff that was going on with Rick Dyer, the uh, perpetual Bigfoot hoaxer, simultaneous to this show? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there are the, the, the two big stories out there in the wider community were Dyer and Ketchum. Yeah, I, I follow Dyer. I, I read Lee Spiegel and the Huffington Post's Weird News column Shout very frequently. Very frequently, um, he's interviewed me on some of the stuff, and so yeah, I, I was aware and skeptical. I mean, it's a known fraudster, guy who's been multiply charged with all sorts of fraudulent stuff, and so, and the 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 picture, Hank, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like one of those. Um, I remember they call those little treasure trolls from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The early nineties yeah. or whatever. It just looked like a giant version of a treasure troll. Yeah. I- so I, I I never bought into it in a minute. And the more he hemmed and hawed about, well, I've sent it out for DNA testing, and then oh, but I have a non-disclosure agreement with the university that's doing. It. As soon as you start covering up, oh, you know, we can't tell you why or who or what. Um, you just it. It died then. I mean, right. I never bought it in the first place. But when he was talking about the DNA and results will be out next week, but I have an NDA with the university, so we can't say who. Right then, I, I knew for sure it was a hoax. Or, or do you know, did he apply to your show or um, or was that just him trying to get free publicity? We had nothing to do with the casting whatsoever. Gotcha. So, uh I have no knowledge of that, unfortunately. Or fortunately. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert before you say things like that. So the, the $10 million, obviously it wasn't awarded, but Stacey and Dave won the competition. Spoiler alert. So uh, they received $100,000 and that was supposed to go towards researching Bigfoot. So have you guys got any idea of how that's going? The guys who won, they have their own sort of organization. They hire themselves out and people pay them to spend a weekend running around looking for Bigfoot. And so they've, they're, I know they're continuing to do that. Um, they're having a conference on the so-called Florida Skunk Ape, uh, I believe in September. One of them was just out on the West Coast at the hops and squatch hop squatch conference (laughs) um i think it's you drink beer and go looking for squatch i'm not sure (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah i know they're still uh fully in the game i think i'd prefer sasquatch (laughs) yeah Yeah. Actually, uh, Notre Dame, we have uh, both Todd and I both have uh, friends at uh, Notre Dame University, and they had a Squatch and Squatch part, a Squatch and Scotch party uh, for the opening night of uh, Bigfoot Bounty, which both of us were regretfully could not be there. But we were at a pub in Manhattan actually doing the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> we did have some Scotch for Squatch that night. <laughs> nice. Uh, we have a, f- a fan question. Has the loss of the Mohawk shaken Natalia's trust in Dr. Todd's skills? <laughs> I actually, when he picked me up from the airport, I didn't recognize him. Uh, when I did realize it was Dr. Todd, I wept openly. Um, I, uh, it, was, it was a sad moment. Um, I don't know who he is anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, He made me coffee this morning, um, and I was afraid to drink it. I didn't know what he'd put in it. Um, no, I, I, I just... I still trust him, 
but you know, he kind of was like Samson, and and that was his that was his strength, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. He definitely. I have to say this. He definitely has a Heisen. When he puts on a hat, he has a Heisenberg Walter White effect going on. You know, so at least I know where to get my um, my street meth from. Um, right here next to me. Are there other um, uh, biologists with mohawks that you know of? Uh, Michael Merchant. Yeah, he's a biologist. Uh, I, I, I was. A he's little- a biologist. He's he's a wildlife biologist. He actually has a degree in biology, and he has worked on and off. I don't know if he's currently working, yeah. but he has worked for you know the wildlife department in Maine. Yeah, so he's a, he's a bona fide wildlife biologist with a degree in it. Oh. So I I did not know of him or anything, and so that first day when we walked <laughs> out. And I mean, and we're both like within a year of each other in age and stuff. It's just <laughs> freaky. Like looking in <laughs> a mirror. As, as I would talk to friends and family, I would always sort of jokingly refer to that crazy guy with the mohawk, uh, the <laughs> other one from Maine. <laughs> well, there you go. So, what happened to your mohawk then, Todd? It just took too much work. <laughs> You know, you have to shave in front of a mirror. You got to go to a barber to get it tweaked. I can do it now just in the shower without looking and not worry about product (laughs) (laughs) and any of that stuff. So figure into your 50s, eventually you got to grow up a little bit. Not too much. Mm. Definitely grow old, but not grow up. All right. Well, that's all we've got. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about the show that we didn't touch on that you want to get out to the listeners? Well, we had a great time doing it. We, we could see how to do it differently, but we are appreciative of having the opportunity to have done it. Yeah, it was it was a first of all, if you if you are a fan and you watched it, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I don't even think my family watched all yeah. the episodes. Oh, I watched so everyone. I enjoyed better. them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but that more than anything, uh we love doing the science. We really appreciated being able to work with uh, individuals that might not have the opportunity to take um any sort of uh genetic classes or, or understand primate behavior or, um, or morphology and to work with them. And so it was an excellent opportunity to do science in a beautiful location with wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And I, I had, honestly, the time of my life. I had a wonderful time. So I hope it um, translated on screen. <laughs> they made me uber serious. Oh, by the way, I'm not as serious as I am on that show. I think they edited everything. Oh, we know. <laughs> so I do, I do laugh and smile on occasion. I, I do have a tough time smiling, and that was that was one of the drinking games that my friends had. Is and nobody ever got drunk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when <you show> my teeth. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right, well, uh, thanks, thanks for joining us and giving us a follow up on the show, and we'll put a yeah, link to you your guys. videos. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, just keep up the great work. Exactly. You too. Science is watching. (laughs) All right. See you guys later. Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. I'm Blake Smith, and you just heard me and Dr. Karen Stolzno interviewing Dr. Todd Disotel and Natalia Reagan about their experiences working on Spike TV's $10 million Bigfoot bounty. 
Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed on this show are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Skeptic Society or Skeptic Magazine. If you would like to know their opinion, why not drop by your local magazine vendor and ask for a copy of Skeptic Magazine or go to skeptic.com and have a look around. Their opinion has to be out there somewhere and maybe you'll be the first to find it. I'm sad to report that the cruise we'd planned for October will not be taking place, but I hope to revisit the idea in 2015, so if that's up your alley, please stay tuned. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for listening. skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skepti, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit skeptic.com today. Um, just that, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I hope, you know, I can do it now just in the shower without looking and not worry about product.